Welcome to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Tuber Talk is produced by Potatoes in Canada magazine. You've tuned in to hear about the people and the ideas making a difference in the Canadian potato industry. At Syngenta, they don't just talk about their commitment to helping you grow your best potato crop. They back it up with a dedicated team and comprehensive solutions to address the challenges you face every day. Hi there, welcome to Tuber Talk. My name is Bree Rohde and I'm an editor in the Agriculture Group here at Annex and I'm your host for today's episode. Do you deal with wireworms? This increasingly common pest, while not exclusive to potatoes, can cause serious damage in your tubers. They are the larvae of click beetles and are found across North America. AAFC researchers discovered that one crop can help improve soil and crop health by reducing wireworms, as well as other soil diseases. PEI research scientists Drs. Christine Nerona and Jason McCallum discovered a rare chemical found in buckwheat that can help reduce wireworm populations better than barley. Additional research by Dr. Pervez Abbasi found that chopped buckwheat plants in soil can help suppress soil diseases. For more on their recent discoveries with buckwheat, here's my interview with Drs. Christine Nerona and Jason McCallum. Hey everyone, my name is Bree Rohde and I'm hosting today's episode. We're going to start by introducing our two guests. Just say who you are and your area of focus, uh, starting with Dr. Nerona. Okay, uh, my name is uh, Christine Nerona. I'm a research scientist uh, at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Um, I'm an entomologist and my research focus is on uh, integrated pest management, which is uh, looking at different techniques to control various insect pests in uh, uh, agricultural fields. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. And we are also here with Dr. Jason McCallum. Jason, if you could introduce yourself and your area of focus. So my name is Dr. Jason McCallum, and I am a research scientist in Charlottetown with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and I'm a phytochemist, which means I study the chemical composition of plants. So okay. It's not, not agrochemicals that we're spraying on them, but the actual naturally occurring chemicals that the plants make themselves. Thank you. Okay. Well, Dr. Nerona, Dr. McCallum, welcome to Tuber Talk. Uh, today we're here to discuss wireworms and, uh, and emerging new treatments for wireworms. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of that and the new research, I'm wondering if the two of you could provide some context for the prevalence of wireworms as well as what kind of damage they can cause specifically to potatoes, but uh, in general to all crops as well. Okay, so so uh, wireworms are um, they, they're the larvae of these click beetles, and they feed on uh, the potatoes or uh, different crops, seeds on of other crops as well, but specifically with regards to potatoes, they feed on the on the tubers and they make these holes in the tubers when they feed. They live for seven years, so as a result, uh, anywhere from two to seven years. Um, and they can they can um, they um, make these holes in the tubers, which make the tubers unmarketable. Um, now the population started increasing um, over the years, and we didn't have any insecticides to control them. Uh, there were some that uh, would paralyze the ins- the wireworms, but they would not kill the wireworms. So. As a result, population started increasing and it reached a point where growers couldn't even harvest their fields because there was that, um, the extent of damage was really, really high. 
Okay, and you and I have spoken a little bit before about your work with wireworms, and I recall you told me that they can withstand very, very cold temperatures, correct? Yes, they can, they can, uh, they, they do, they are very, uh, very good at, at avoiding freezing. Um, for one thing, they will move down into the soil during the winter and they would stay just below the frost line. But we, we took some wire worms out that were um, completely frozen and we put them into our, um, into our, in our lab study and we found that they could sustain up to minus 12 degrees. So, and it wouldn't kill them. So that was kind of really um, eye-opening for us because we know that, you know, down there in the soil, in the soil profile, it's never gonna get down to minus 12 degrees. So it's, um, so they're, they're gonna be there, you know, in the field once eggs are laid. They're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough little worms. Uh, so now uh, I know, I, I just am curious if wireworms are um, more prevalent in some areas of Canada than others, or um, what the landscape is like for wireworms, say, on the East Coast versus Western Canada. So wireworms are found worldwide, but there are many different species. And some of the species are, are attacked different crops, uh, but they are present everywhere, right across Canada. Uh, they, they attack potatoes. Um, and um, in, in Atlantic Canada and in, in British Columbia, we have another species, which is uh, a European species. So there's three different European species, uh, uh, Agriotis potata, Agriotis lineatus, and Agriotis uh, obscurus. Now, Lineatus and Obscurus are present in, in, um, um, in British Columbia and, and Spotata are present in, uh, Spotata, Lineatus and Obscurus are present in, in the Maritimes. Um, they do attack potatoes, they attack wheat and barley and corn. So there's a wide variety of crops that they would attack. Um, and in uh, Agriotis potata, which is present in um, PEI and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and now even in Quebec, it, it's, it, is, um, it attacks potatoes. It's a very aggressive species. Uh, it, it can cause a very, uh, like a huge amount of damage to the potato crop. So let's move on to buckwheat. Uh, can you tell me um, what you discovered about buckwheat uh, and how you discovered it as it relates to uh, wireworms? Okay, so so with um, so when when several years ago when the populations were increasing, uh, we were kind of worried because we thought, well, we don't have anything to control them. So I decided to look at uh, look at crops that would maybe have a, a negative effect on the population. So I chose mustard, brown mustard was one of them. And it was mainly because of the glucosinolates that are in brown mustard in the roots of brown mustard. Buckwheat, there was, I chose buckwheat because I know like growers in previous times used to always grow buckwheat as one of the ways to, to um, as a rotation crop to, uh, suppress weeds and other um, and um, and also to build soil. So I thought, why not use this? This would be beneficial if if we have it. If we have 
other aspects that are beneficial with this crop. So that's why I used it. I didn't know that it, I, we, I, we went out on a limb because we had no idea that it would work. And then when we used it, we found that it, it did a, an ex excellent job in, in suppressing a wireworm populations in the field. The best partners don't just talk, they dig in. Syngenta doesn't just talk about their commitment to helping you grow your best potato crop, they back it up with a dedicated team and comprehensive product solutions for the challenges you face every day. And as the needs of the industry change, Syngenta helps you stay ahead. Talk to your Syngenta sales rep to learn more or visit syngenta.ca slash agronomy slash potato. Okay, so now Dr. McCallum, as someone who studies the uh, the chemistry of plants, can you tell us a little bit about what specifically about buckwheat um, helps as a suppressant? Yeah, so as Christine sort of alluded to earlier, going into this, we knew nothing really about what was going on with the plant. You know, we knew buckwheat seemed to be having an effect, and we had all these different hypotheses as to what it could be. So one of the first things I, I endeavored to do with my research group was we just looked at the chemical composition of buckwheat. You know, we, we compared the roots, which is where the presumed interaction between the wireworm and the plant would be. And we looked at the chemicals that are in the above ground parts. We looked at the chemicals in the seed, in, in the flowers, and we used a fairly sophisticated technique called liquid chromatography mass spectroscopy. So LCMS, it's kind of like what you would see on CSI where they're trying to figure out, you know, what killed the crime victim. Well, we have the same technology, but instead of looking for, you know, anabolic steroids or, or illicit drugs, we're looking at chemicals from plants. So kind of just a blind shot in the dark. Let's see what all the different tissues are doing. And, you know, lo and behold, there was a kind of a unique class of chemicals that were present in the roots. So that, you know, was a little bit of a smoking gun and immediately piqued my interest. And I, we followed that up with some developmental studies looking at, you know, how those chemicals are synthesized and accumulated over time. You know, all these little buckwheat plants growing from seedlings up until full maturity and you know, measuring how, how they changed. And, you know, about a month into their, their growth, these things are peaked at their maximum. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of put some names on the peaks that are in there. It was a... Uh, from a chemical perspective, it was quite difficult to to identify them because there's about a dozen of them, and they're all very, very similar, with only very slight chemical uh, chemical differences. So you know, we put some names on the peaks, and as a as a whole, we could create fractions where we took that chemical class and we purified them out, and then we kind of handed that off to Christine's group to do some follow up work with the insects. So instead of just relying on the insects nibbling on the roots of the plants in the field or in pots, you know, we could actively give that purified chemical to the insects. Okay. So then how long, uh, in terms of uh, your field work and trials, um, how long of a process was this? It was quite a large project. Um, you know, Christine was the leader on it. Um, I think there was probably almost a dozen people on it across the country at various research centers and it took about four years anyway. Okay so I know this wasn't your research but uh, the AFC article also mentioned one of your colleagues research on um, chopped buckwheat plants in soil and what that does for soil health so uh, can you tell me a little bit about the work with the chopped buckwheat plants? 
Okay, so when we when we started uh, our trials, we had um, we decided to um, mow the buckwheat and work it and cultivate it into the, into the soil. And the main reason was we didn't want it to to go to seed and then be a problem in the growers field the following year. So, um, and the other aspect of this was also to, to increase the organic matter in the soil because buckwheat is really good. It's a very good green manure. So we decided that we were going to uh, work it into the soil and, and um, use it as green manure. Uh, so that was the original trial that we did. And then our co my colleagues, we, we started, when we found that it was working, we decided to get other people involved into this project. So we got a chemist involved and we got a weed scientist involved. And he looked at um, how, how long does it take for the seeds to mature after planting. And that would give a grower a time span uh, for if he wanted to work it in or if they wanted to um, uh, mow it into the ground and cultivate it, then you do it before the seeds mature. So that's what that's what uh, the weed scientists did. And we've got some really good results and information about when's the best time to, to work it in. That's very interesting. No, but you don't I, need to work it in. Sorry, uh, you don't need to work the crop in, but you know it is because it could be harvested for seed as well. Okay. Now, as uh, I mentioned when we were speaking earlier, I am not a crop expert. I am more on the nutrient management side of things, but I, I don't often hear about buckwheat being used in rotations. So can you give me an idea of how common it is for buckwheat to be used in rotations in Canada and if that's increasing at all? They, uh, growers are starting to use it. Um, right now and it's because of the weed the weed control that it gives you know it does suppress weeds um, does have many other benefits soil benefits it, it makes um, phosphorus more um, available to the um, to the subsequent crop but buckwheat is, is starting to gain a little bit of momentum and it's because it's it has other benefits as well it has soil benefits it has um, it, there is a market for buckwheat, you know, like in Japan and Europe, they 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 buy buckwheat. So, with their growers are starting to build this market of uh, seeds so that they could produce seed. And when we did our trials, we found out that it didn't matter. You didn't have to work the the buckwheat into the soil. You could actually harvest the seed. So that was a real benefit for the growers economically. Um, so they started to uh, to grow the, the buckwheat. So it's gaining a little bit of momentum. And with the results that we are finding, it, it's probably going to gain momentum, you know, and they're going to start growing it more. Okay, so w with all that known, um, what are you at AAFC doing to, um, uh, in the hopes of encouraging producers to introduce more buckwheat into their rotations? Yeah, edu education is definitely important there. I think some of the old-time farmers, like 150 years ago, they grew a lot of buckwheat in Atlantic Canada and, and New Brunswick. Like buckwheat pancakes were famous in, in Acadian in culture. So like, I still love you know, that. There was there was a, a long-standing history. It was just kind of abandoned with time. Um, there's other branches within Agriculture Canada that that work with industry and, and international trade and things like that. So you know, there are potential export opportunities like. 
there's a lot of Asian countries, you know, in Taiwan, etc., that are big, big, big into buckwheat noodles and, and stuff like that. So, you know, there's there's definitely potential to market it as a crop, not just you know, flail it down into the soil and, and not collect seed. So, uh, finally, for producers who are looking to incorporate buckwheat into their rotation, uh, do you have any particular recommendations for crops uh, with which it is most beneficial to rotate them for uh, wireworm control? Uh, no, but no, you could you could rotate it with any crop if you want to to put buckwheat in. Um, you could rotate it with potatoes, with corn, with any crop that you want. You know, you could. It's easy to rotate rotate uh, the buckwheat with uh, any of those crops. Um, well, the, the the best approach would be uh, depending on what the grower wants to grow it for. If he wants to. If he or she wants to grow it for um, weed control, then you know you grow it according to that. You use those um, for that reason. Or if you want wireworm control, then and you look at the variety because with us we we only we only looked at one variety of buckwheat. So maybe that's a good thing to look at the variety that you're growing. Um, also, it if. If it's for um, to sell, uh, harvest the seeds and sell, then maybe it's good to know which varieties is, is more uh, acceptable, you know, to, to sell it to um, and what what the market wants. So it would be better good to go in and find out about what the market wants, which variety they're looking for. All right. Well, Dr. Christina Rona, Dr. Jason McCallum, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights with us here at Tuber Talk. Uh, happy trails to you both. Thank you for listening to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Catch up on all of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or online at potatoesincanada.com slash podcasts.